So today is a special Sunday. Obviously, we're uh, celebrating our graduates here at Baccalaureate Sunday. And uh, I wanted to take a moment um, as we recognize the achievements of those um, in, the, in the blue and is that black uh, robes that uh, our graduates are wearing uh, today. Um, you know, this is, this is the, the end of, you know, 12 plus, I guess, kindergarten, 13, preschool, you know, more than that, years of schooling, and it's a transitional time as they move on to, to uh, more education. I think each and every one of you was going off to college, if, if I heard that right. Um, so, um, but I know that you don't do this alone. You know, one thing about our faith journey that takes place in church is that um, you are surrounded by some really, really great people who've walked alongside you, and I, I want to start by recognizing uh, the, the mentors, the leaders, the faith keepers that, uh, that were a part of this journey and continue to be a part of the ministry, the youth ministries. If you are in any way, shape, or form, if you are involved in our 412 youth ministry, um, would you stand so that we might recognize you and just thank you for all the hard work that you put into to these, these folks here? Yeah, thanks. Let's give them a big hand. <laughs> And if you're a parent, grandparent, brother, or sister of one of our graduates, would you stand so we might recognize you as well? <laughs> Certainly a special day for all of you. And again, I want to remind everyone that we will be upstairs in the Fellowship Hall um, immediately following the service. And uh, I think there's cake, so uh, you know, come on up. Our scripture today comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, and loving Father, we thank you so much for being with each one of these young men and women upon their faith journey. And we know that you continue to go before them to help them and guide them and direct them. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that you might speak to all of us in this room, that we would hear what you would have to say to us today. And that our ears would not be closed, nor our hearts, Lord, but instead that we would be open to all that you would speak to us in this coming week, this summer, into next year, and throughout our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, graduating class of 2019, I'm going to tell you pretty much the opposite of what everyone else is going to tell you in their graduation speeches, okay? You've probably already heard and will hear again that you are the best and the brightest. That is your job to go out there and make the world a better place. 
that you are leaders now, and it's time for you to take the helm. You will be told that the sky is the limit, and your dreams need to be large. You'll be told to go make something of yourself, not just at college, but beyond. You'll be told to enjoy the places your lives will take you, especially when they are far away and glamorous and unexpected and can earn you lots of money. You'll be told, as you've been told before, that the impressiveness of your degree and your professional resume will be how you are measured and how you are valued. I'm not going to tell you any of those things. Because you are rightful United Methodist Christians, and because I know you're going to go on to do big, amazing, impressive, world-bettering things already. For you are high-achieving, and you are motivated, and you are conscientious. You don't need encouragement to be who you already are. But you probably do need some encouragement to consider living small. That's right. I don't mean miserly or shut in or cut off or inhospitable in any way, and I certainly don't mean afraid and cowering, just small, humble, in proportion, manageable, close to the ground and centered around the people who love you and who you intend to make at the center of your lives. Like Ruthie Lemming. She was the younger sister of writer Rod Dreyer, and they grew up together in rural Louisiana. From early childhood, Ruthie's world was the small town that she grew up in. She married her high school sweetheart, taught at the local school, and raised her kids in the same school that she went to. Rod, on the other hand, couldn't wait to leave town for some bigger place, some faster place, some more culturally cool place. He felt trapped in that small town, and he never understood why his sister seemed so happy there, even content. In his book about their lives, he writes, I had somehow come to think of her living in a small town as equivalent to her living a small life. That was fine by me if it made her content, but there was about it this air of settling, or so I thought. But then in her early 40s, she developed cancer and died a few years later. In the course of her illness and during the weeks after her death, Rod developed a different relationship to his hometown. By that point, he and his family had moved around between Washington and New York City and Philadelphia. He was a widely published writer. He made a lot more money than his sister ever did. And he lived in impressive, happening, going kinds of cool places. But he realized during his trips home that he didn't have any friends or neighbors in any of those places who would come take care of him if he ever got sick the way his sister did. He witnessed how the town came together to support Ruthie, how they raised tens of thousands of dollars for her care, how they provided her meals, how they took care of her children, and traveling, they traveled back from places as far away as California to come to her funeral. He heard the stories of her former students, some now teachers themselves, who said they never would have even graduated high school if Ruthie hadn't taken an interest in them. And though the time was full of struggle and pain, his trips back home opened his eyes to what was missing in his own life and to what had been there all along in the small town and in what he had always thought was a small-seeming life. His epiphany 
was that Ruthie's small life was much bigger, much deeper than he had ever grasped. Bigger in some really important ways than his own well-crafted life. Why am I telling you all this? Well, your families here today will be pleased to hear that I'm not trying to tell you to stay home and never leave. Um, But I am encouraging you to think about what living a small life might mean for you. As Rod made sense of his sister's death and their very different lives, he came to terms with the fact that, you know, if he had never left, he would always be bitter. He would always be wondering what if. He doesn't come to the conclusion that his sister was right all along. He had to take a journey in order to find his way back home, literally to Louisiana and his family, but also to the kind of life that God was calling him to live all along. Here's the thing. It's not an either-or proposition. But graduation cliches and platitudes can make it sound like that. Either you go make it big or you settle for something that just pays the bills. Or either you go make your mark on the world or you start a family. Either, Either you impress other people or you satisfy yourself. But it's actually not an either-or choice between a big life or a smaller one that counts. Some of your biggest, most God-centered moments will not be televised, they will not be Instagrammed, and they will not be Snapchatted. Some of the smallest-seeming moments will actually reverberate the loudest in terms of how you organize your life, how you live it out, and how you take time in this busy world to spend it with others in the more routine, ordinary moments of each and every day. Now, Jesus' disciples, they protested and they complained because they thought there was this either-or choice between big acts of justice like feeding the poor or small acts of kindness like pouring perfume on Jesus' head. But Jesus, he doesn't recognize this choice. He says, you can and should help the poor regularly. You have that opportunity in front of you every day. But this opportunity is the one in front of you right now. He says, she cared for me. She has done what she could. We don't even know her name, right? It was an extravagant act. Instead, a year's worth of wages? And yet, it was so fleeting. Only a few disciples knew about it, even though they were still talking about it, and we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. We still don't know her name. If she were graduating this week, people would advise her to etch her name into the jar of alabaster before she breaks it so that everyone present would remember her. Or, or if she were graduating this week, people would tell her to go get, you know, make a little more bang for your buck and organize maybe an alabaster day and, you know, have it out at Hugh McCray Park or maybe down at the beach and see if you can get hundreds of people to pour perfume over everybody. You know, I don't know. But she did one simple thing, one generous personally extravagant, but relatively small thing. And this is what Jesus noticed, and he praised her for it. And I suspect at the end of her life, it was one of the most memorable moments of her life. I suspect that throughout her life, that moment turned out to be a touchstone that helped her make other decisions, ones that were, again, generous, personally extravagant, Christ-centered. It was small, and despite Jesus' words, nearly forgotten, 
What was her name again? We don't know. But I'm telling you, it was enough. You're already on an amazing trajectory to do big, impressive, resume-building things that I look forward to reading and hearing about for years to come. You're also already enough. What I want is for you to be on the lookout for the brilliantly small things in life wherever you go next. Be ready to get generous. Be ready to get involved. Be ready to be personally extravagant. Be ready to be Christ-centered, even if hardly anyone else ever sees it. You don't get any credit for it, and you can't put it on your resume. Just like you've been living around here. I know you've made great memories at school. You've taken amazing mission trips with the church. You've had tons of fun out on the water around Wrightsville Beach. I also know that some of your most important memorable, reverberating moments have been the small ones, like talking with your friends, grabbing a moment with Christina and Jackson or another one of the faith keepers, perhaps offering comfort to a younger person in the youth group, or trying to work out your beliefs through fellowship, fun, food, worship, study, prayer, having amazing conversations, in random, unplanned visits to Tower 7 or Boombalades or wherever you go. <laughs> You've done what you could. You already know what the special, significant, small moments can be. So keep it up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious God, you said from the beginning that you created us, each and every one of us, in your own image. And Lord, you've created each one of these graduates in your image. And you've endowed with them amazing gifts. Things that they will be able to use to surely change the world. But also to change the world for one person, maybe. Lord, I pray that they will be present, that there will be that spark in the moment that they share with just one other person in things that don't make the news, in things you don't call your mom and grandma about, but rather in the more intimate conversations where you are there and we know that it is a special high holy moment. I pray all this in Jesus' name.